Uh, welcome to No Concessions, your favorite movie podcast where we discuss subgenres of movies. This week's subgenre is What's Cooler Than Being Cool. This week we're re- reviewing 1991 Stone Cold, uh, starring Brian Bosworth. And uh, we've got a special guest today, uh, Matt Chrisman. How's it going, Matt? Good. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm alive, living, breathing. <laughs> it's the best, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, dude. It's fucking sick. so uh like we do with uh every new guest that comes on the show we issue a series of questions uh just to get to get to know them better but first uh let's let's chat a little bit about your background matt what what kind of media hog are you like what kind of stuff do you like oh uh all the stuff that uh the person of my demographic should like you know uh movies with guys with guns mostly that's my founding love probably that's the thing that as a kid i like the most and i'm a you know more sophisticated consumer now you know but that's always going to be the thing i fell in love with first watching uh things like stone cold for example we'll get into the review in the second segment but this movie actually pretty surprised me it was uh, a lot better than i thought it was going to be they don't. They sure don't make them like that anymore. Yeah, you know, for as for subgenres for this week, I was gonna say movies they uh, can't make anymore for a variety of reasons. Yeah, and this this fits squarely into that. But before we get into the review and our titular segment, no concessions, where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movies, uh, let's 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 do some of these uh, intro questions. Uh, is uh, there a movie or show that uh, you find yourself rewatching a lot? Uh trying to think of the last time i rewatched something i'm trying now to to, to not do that uh but i i, I a lot of the times it's uh uh comedies that i'm like love <clears throat> like 30 rock that's a show that i can rewatch basically nonstop because there's jokes that you missed or forgot and then they come back and it's like seeing it for the first time so that's a good one to rewatch oh sick would you say that's like one of the more um timeless comedies just based on how it's like structured oh yeah i mean the, the idea of a, a situation comedy is that they're supposed to be jokes and nowadays nowadays the kids today they don't want that they wanted to have a bunch of layers and themes and crap and and actually not be funny and i blame louis ck for that but uh 30 rock uh, as also as the kids say understood the assignment of providing <laughs> rapid fire jokes and uh for that i will always appreciate it why do you why do you blame louie for that is that because of the the show i assume the show yeah louis the, his his fx show uh brought prestige to the sitcom format and uh, with disastrous results i think <laughs> and of course i was a chump media hog at the time i was along for, for the ride with everybody else trying desperately to wring some sort of sense of meaning and uh, an intellectual satisfaction from the hog-like behavior of just watching television, and this—the prospect of this. No, it's it's sure it's thirty minutes, but oh, it's it's actually more like a short film. Oh my God, thank you. But uh, the show itself wore out its welcome very quickly, and then the imitators that came in its wake just kept piling on more and more, suffocating non-comedies. Uh, and uh, Bojack yeah. Horseman, dude, the one I of mean, the worst shows I've ooh, ever seen in my fucking no, thank life. You. Ugh. No, thank you. Fuck. So, what what movie do you wish you saw on release day? Oh, I wish I had seen uh, Riders of Justice in theaters. Riders of uh, Justice. Yes, this is a movie from a couple of years ago, a Danish film starring Mads Mikkelsen. That is, 
uh, uh, fantastic. And I won't say anything about it because you should go in clean because uh, it's it's a very surprising movie. But it's it's that kind of uh, combination of uh, action and comedy and uh, and characters that again hard to find nowadays. Really good, and I would have loved to have seen it in a in a full theater. Do you do you have like in mind like a an intellectual property, whether it's a video game, a book, like a, a series of toys or whatever that should be adapted into a movie or even a series of events? Uh, there's a book called The Half Made World by Felix Gilman. That's this. Uh, it's kind of steampunky, but not really. It, it's 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 like a metaphor for Western uh, uh, Western expansion, and it's uh, about the battle between like this. Arm this uh these sentient uh, uh train cars and a bunch of uh, nihilistic terrorists. I think that'd be a good movie. So if you could erase your memory of a movie and watch it for the first time again, what movie would that be? Oh man, I would love to see Casino again for the very first it's time. Why's that? Yeah, just because it's uh it's just this incredible overstuffed. Uh, sensory experience and uh, the idea of like having that projected uh, for the first time again, especially since I saw it as a kid in the theater. So be a nice little uh, Proustian moment too. I feel similarly to speed racer from 2008. Oh yeah. Fucking eye candy dude. It was uh, (laughs) it was a really great experience. I wish I could just like, rewatch it again especially that scene at night with the semi that's weaving next to like the cliff and the trees and all that shit it's really good really really incredible this week's subgenre is what's cooler than being cool uh, we're reviewing 1991's Stone Cold, directed by Craig R. Baxley, written by Walter Doniger, produced by Yoram Ben-Ami, starring uh, Brian Bosworth, Lance Henriksen, William Forsyth, Sam McMurray. The cinematography was done by Alexander Gruzinski, edited by Mark Helfrich, music by Sylvester LaVey. Released on May 17th, 1991, with a runtime of 95 minutes, a budget of 25 mil, box office of 9.1. Fucking travesty. Ooh. Damn. And that's why we did not get a Bosworth Assance. That's why we never got the Boz as a, a leading man in action films. Honestly, he did he did a really good job. Way better than I would have imagined. When when I watch this movie and compare it to something like uh like Cobra or even something more modern like John Wick, there's like a natural charisma that Brian Bosworth has. <laughs> and he doesn't he doesn't like fill the void with like talking or like doing too much acting. He's just kind of like a statuesque figure in there. And yeah. It it works really well for him. Whereas when you watch something like John Wick, it's like fucking Keanu kind of mugging and it's like annoying. Yeah. But no, the boss is just a just a Greek statue come to life. This movie is about uh one of my favorite premises from the nineties where <laughs> where for whatever reason, uh local cops get to go have adventures with the feds or internationally uh we reviewed a movie similar to this before uh black rain by ridley scott oh yes (laughs) 
dude, this is like Black Rain was insane. Um, and this is this movie is equally as insane. Uh, it's about an Alabama cop who's on suspension. The movie opens with this fucking guy uh, being I don't know if he walks in after or if he's already in there, but there's a crime in progress in a grocery store where maniacs are in there shooting up the place. Uh, Very just, similar to the opening of uh, Cobra. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, in Cobra, you've got this just a lone gunman, whereas in this one, you've got uh, a group of three or four people kind of just, I don't know, going in, shooting up the place and robbing it. At least they're robbing it. I think that's like the main positive here because initially I was a little bit confused. I thought they were kind of just in there to like hang out and just do chaos. Definitely credit to uh, the writers for actually having them be in there for a purpose uh, and not just to kill people. Well, hold on a minute. In in Cobra, that, that's all part of the uh, weird cult of, of murdering people where they just clank axes together and then do murders. So <laughs> yeah, there's true. an ideological component there. <laughs> yeah. These guys just want true. some money. Yeah. <laughs> And they don't. They don't actually. Uh, do they kill anybody? I don't remember. I don't think. Uh, they no, they don't kill anybody. Yeah, they just shoot up a bunch of Ritz crackers. Yeah, I think um, it's the only scene in the movie where there, nobody gets killed, <laughs> which is a delight. It kind of has like a similar opening. I think maybe the Cowboy Bebop movie cribbed from this a little bit in that like Brian Bosworth is supposed to be in there a little bit aloof, not sure what's going on. I don't know how he would be because of course like they were just shooting a bunch of shit in there. And like, he's like trying to like take little nibbles out of a cookie or something. Yeah. And then um, dude walks up on him with a shotgun, disarms him, and then takes out the gang one by one. Uh, in the greatest piece of filmmaking I've seen in a long time, uh, the last person is dispatched by slipping on a puddle and <laughs> flying into a strategically placed puddle. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, really good. He does uh, does a classic pratfall into some cans. Brian Bosworth, Joe, what's his name? Joe something, Joe Furf. Joe Huff. Joe Huff. Joe Huff is uh, walked up on by uh, a badged police officer. Ooh, you're on suspension, buddy. I don't know how you're going to talk your way out of this one. And then uh, the, I assume the head detective or some other uh, administrative pussy walks up on him and is like, hey. You're not supposed to be doing this kind of shit. God, he delivers this classic one-liner. He says, you got to clean up on aisle four. Further into the movie, we, we see we, we see Brian Bosworth preparing uh, a smoothie of some sort uh, in some kind of like, uh, I think this might be like a strictly maybe 90s thing where they were kind of like mocking food preparation to some degree. He's just dumping a bunch of random shit into a blender. And it's like, who's this for? He's he's chiseled. This man is chiseled. There's no way he's drinking two Snickers bars in the morning, and and, and a bunch of eggs and hot sauce. Uh, but yeah, it's it's his motherfucking uh, Komodo dragon, which is another thing from the '90s. Exotic pets was a way to signal the coolness of a police officer. Exactly. Yeah. If you didn't have an exotic pet as a cop, you were yeah, get the hell out of here. You were just, you, you know, don't what? Got a, you don't got a cockatoo or a, a boa constrictor. Turn in your badge and gun. <laughs> <laughs> so he gives this like this blended slurry to his Komodo dragon where it's revealed that like, yo, like, Oh man, he's cool. He's got a cool exotic pet. And, uh, the feds come to his door. The feds want him. Hello. Hello, Mr. Uh, Joe Huff. 
we know you're on suspension for three weeks. Uh, how about you come work for us? He's like, nah, I'm good. And well, how about how about six months suspension with no pay instead of three weeks? And he's like, fuck, you got me. You got me. Uh, nothing I can do about that. Tell me, point me, point me in the direction you need me to go. Turns yeah. out there's um a biker gang doing evil stuff like killing uh, priests. <laughs> yeah, they don't explain why this is a thing, but uh, they show it's an amazing. It, there's a lot of jarring edits in this movie, and one of them is they go from talking to him to uh, just a. a, a a minister baptizing a baby, and then a dude just walks up to him with a double-barreled shotgun and blows him away. Uh, and then you find out that uh, this guy's a member of this biker gang. He's been uh, uh, sentenced to not death, but 45 years in prison. That's still too much for the biker gang, so they put a bomb in the fishing boat of the judge and blow him up. So you know these guys are serious. Governor of the state of Alabama is just like, you know what? 45 years, fuck that. Death penalty. We're going to keep reopening this case until we get the death penalty. And then you cut to uh, Chains, played by Lance Henriksen, who's like just obsessed with uh, Whippets. Whipper, Whipperly? What's his name? Whipperton. Whipperton. Whipperton, the district attorney who's uh, running for governor and who he wants to kill for having the temerity to want to sentence his uh, brother to death for shotgunning a minister in his church for for what reason for undisclosed reasons and what's interesting is is that they're they're in in one of the uh uh, expository uh news stories they say three uh clergymen had been killed so it's like this was a thing they were doing just going around killing uh, uh ministers which that's pretty badass. I guess they were like epic Reddit atheists before that was a thing. <laughs> got it. You know what? You got to hear both sides. What did yeah. what did they do? Huh? Is it just a coincidence? Maybe they were art thieves or something doing. Maybe they were bad criminals instead of cool criminals. Yeah, we don't know. Maybe this biker gang full of Nazis is like uh, proto punishers. You know, yeah, we have no way of knowing. Yeah, I, I wish they would have uh, expounded on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Brian Bosworth uh, goes on his mission. Where what's that fucking biker conference? The biker thing that they do in Florida, something Bike Week. He goes to that, but in Alabama. Yeah, and he's first thing. First thing you see is him in his car with a Confederate flag on the dashboard. He's just like pulling up to his parking spot with his. Uh, with his bike on the toe in modern movies, like symbolism is used a lot for like just shorthand to kind of like point out who the bad people are. And yes. this is not, it's not easy to discern who the bad people are because like every third person in each one of these shots that's going over the crowd is wearing a Confederate flag. So it's, yeah. and like the cultural context is a lot different back then than it is now for that. So it's yeah. just like, well, hold on. Are these guys good or bad? Or are they, are they just normal people uh, just out here having a good time? Because, you know, not, not a single black person in this movie, aside from that one cop. Who, yeah. The FBI guy, FBI guy. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, you, you see that and uh, having a frame of reference for who's the evil doer, it's tough until they introduce uh, chains later in the movie after Brian Bosworth uh, street races against ice played by William Forsythe. They do a little drag race thing because Forsythe is not fucking with them to begin with. Yeah, he does not like uh, his, his undercover name is uh, John Stone, where presumably why they call it Stone Cold. And 
he is not vibe at first. And he makes a very good point to change. Like this guy just comes out of nowhere. Why would we trust him? But this is one of those classic elements where it doesn't make any plot sense. It just has to happen. Chains just gets obsessed with Stone Cold, Brian Bosworth. And I guess I could see it. I mean, he's a man mountain. You know, like if you're trying to build an Aryan motorcycle death army and this guy rolls up looking like a Viking warrior, I could see being like, yes, we need this dude. So, uh, and there's probably some homoeroticism underlaying that, of course. But Chains just is like, I need this guy. And so he's immediately uh, like bringing him in, offering him uh, colors and uh, having him go and kill a guy for him. Yeah. Basically having just met him. Yeah. And that's that's how he earns his keep in order to join the gang. They uh, put him on a case to kill some guy with a ponytail at a nightclub. (laughs) And this I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe my brain has just been trained like this because I've seen so many movies and TV shows where the the initial kill for anybody who wants to join a gang is a fucking trap. So this guy uh, takes takes young uh, ponytail out of the bar. He like beats him up, knocks him out, has the FBI kind of uh mock up a fake ear uh that resembles the murder victim as well as takes his earring attaches it to the ear and he brings it back to chains and he's like here's your ear chains is like kind of impressed and he like he does like the sicko shit where he's like going to his girlfriend he's like hey how about this you like the ear Mm, smell it what's it like and uh stone cold has one of another great line he says i saved him a fortune on (laughs) q-tips Excellent. Yeah, I can't beat that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I feel like a lot of modern movies fuck up is the one-liner delivery. Mm-hmm. A lot of it seems like it's trying to be too clever by half. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you just – it's supposed to be dumb. You're doing something dumb. What was I think that was uh, The Simpsons where it was just ice to meet you. After yeah. Some, it's like it's, the intention is for it to be uh, something dumb, a little dumb quip. You don't have to like – uh, reference the Pythagorean theorem as you like kill somebody with an angular saw or some shit like that. Well, nowadays the thing is they can't make those kind of lines because it's they're too self-conscious, so they always have to undercut it with like a self-deprecation. They can't just have a badass dude just own someone and then say like your luggage the way that uh, Arnold does after he shoots that crocodile in Eraser. <laughs> Magical. After Brian Bosworth is welcomed into the gang, he's escorting Nancy and two other gang members around as they go collect payments from people in whatever town they're in, in Alabama. And this is where the mob gets wise to them and starts uh, starts a little bit of trouble. This movie is so fucking cool because this dude, this dude in the mob sees the bikers standing outside of what might be a brothel or like maybe a hotel or something. I think it's a brothel, yeah. Uh, and he just unpins the grenade and just tosses it at this biker, which is cool as fuck. It's pretty good. And it, it blows up this car, and it blows the biker through the window of the establishment he's standing in front of. This doesn't raise any eyebrows at all. No cops show up after this. It's just like the mob guys threw a grenade, and like it's cool. And then they wrap around the corner, they bend the block and find Nancy and Stone in the back alley. They, one of the dudes hops out, steals the money from Nancy that she's holding on to and tries to like drive off. But Brian Bosworth hops on front of the car and they try to shake him off. Driver pulls out a gun. Bosworth hops off. And as they exit the alley, 
uh, truck nails the car and spins them out. Uh, so Byron Bosworth is able to catch up, gets to the car, and he like starts beating the brakes off the dudes who are in the car. He like pulls them out, and eventually uh, the driver comes to again, whips out his gun, stops the fight. This is how how we're introduced to the mob element of the movie. I don't. I've been watching a lot of different TV, and I feel like this is like very much so like as far as modern analog goes, it's like Tulsa King style shit. Yeah. Or sons of anarchy. I mean, one of the funny moments is, is that uh, Nancy has the protection money. She'd been collecting taken from her by the mafia. And she's like, Shane's going to kill me. And stone's like, how much was it? She goes $400. And then he just peels it off of his bankroll and gives it to her. And that's a very sons of anarchy thing. Like these horrifying criminals murdering all these people to collect, you know, like several hundred dollars a week. (laughs) Just like uh, doing crimes for what? Just so people are afraid of you. So they give you free stuff. So that you can live freely. So you don't have to be, as Shane says, one of the walking dead out there. The the non-free workaday schmucks. It's it's really just yeah a free it's the dream of uh, not having a boss that's that's what all those uh, organized crime groups are, are trying to create. Damn! And instead of doing that, people just do podcasts now. It's true. It's the last vestige. It's the last uh, the last place you can do that without getting a RICO predicate dropped on you. Hey, for everybody listening, support the show on Patreon so I can stop working. <laughs> uh, they after so they introduce the mob. And I don't I I must have blacked out during this period of the movie. Stone Bosworth comes up with some P2P meth, which is like I, I just don't understand what the P2P meth is uh, and w- like how that plays into this plot. But I assume it's just to like kind of jam up chains and his gang. Yeah. So P2P, which is the same that I believe is the type of meth that uh, Walter White makes in Breaking Bad. Uh, the idea is they're going to get. Uh, uh, the chains wants uh, they want to get this this biker gang, and the way they're going to do it is the classic drug sting. So they got a handle on some government meth. They're going to give it to chains so that chains can sell it to the mafia, uh, and then use his. And then they're going to bust both the mob guys and chains with the thing, wrap the whole deal up. Uh, but. Uh, they switch the location on them, which is enough to completely destroy this entire federal uh, investigation because they had all their guys in one spot. And then when they just say, we're going to have this elsewhere, they're screwed. And so it, so this giant truck of meth ends up going into the hands of the mob. And uh, like I think like a quarter million dollars goes to the, um, the biker gang. Uh, now with the, the meth... Uh, Bosworth handles this by taking his motorcycle, finding where the truck is being uh, driven, and then with his pistol, shooting the tractor trailer away from the cab so that it flies off and and it blows up on a uh, gas station, which is just very funny cartoonish nonsense. Yeah. Uh, But the money is uh, kept by the Brotherhood, who use it to buy a bunch of military equipment from a dude who uh, is a biker and also works with an is also a national guardsman. So they get a helicopter and a bunch of uh, weapons for what they refer to cryptically as D-Day. Prior to getting the D-Day, 
the the biker gang, the Nazi biker gang. I might I have to I have to throw that in there because they they want you to know in all of the shots there's like either a Confederate flag or Nazi paraphernalia hanging yeah. somewhere just so you know that hey these are the bad bikers right yeah. Confederate flags fine. Nazi stuff, still bad in the 90s. Mm-hmm. The gang, because uh, Chains is obsessed with this DA who's running for governor, they kill two National Guardsmen, which freaks Nancy out. Uh, Nancy being Chains's old lady. It's very funny. Both her and uh, this other Beardo dude, uh, they've been along for the ride for all of this, but that is where they brought draw the line, when they grab these National Guard guys and shoot them uh, in, it put them in crates and then shoot them and they're like well what the hell man and you do wonder like why what is it about this specific moment to make you all of a sudden doubt this but uh that's when nancy starts being uh, alienated from the gang and also the guy who uh says he's not into it he gets his hand taken by chains and put into the spokes of a rotating motorcycle wheel so he gets his hand all fucked up yeah basically maimed for life because he was just like hey i didn't i didn't join this gang to kill national guardsmen Sorry, I mean, it is sort of the logical conclusion of what they're up to. I gotta say, have you noticed all the Nazi flags around and all the guns and meth? <laughs> what, what, what do you think? Do you think we're gonna do a literacy program here? He's just like you know, I I enjoy the uh, community that the uh, Nazism brings to this. Yeah, this biker yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I, I'm in it for the potlucks and the fellowship. Yeah, man, I I had nothing going on. It's Alabama. I would either be doing the meth or selling the meth, and you it's guys true, gave yeah. me an outlet. Yeah, yeah, good for him. I mean, he's he stood up for what he believed in to some degree. Mm-hmm. I guess they killed these two National Guardsmen and include like a, a little note, basically declaring their intent to fucking dust a DA Whipperton. Everybody's sufficiently freaked out. Mm-hmm. Nancy Nancy wants out. Balding Beardo also is like not about it. Although he doesn't necessarily express his desire to get out, he's more on the um, whipped dog side of. Uh, yeah, he doesn't really. He's he's just gonna go along for it, even after they take his hand off. Yeah, because I mean, he's just uh, he's just a sad guy. He's a sad guy with no prospects. He's got mm-hmm. nothing going on, man. Fucking awful. It's a real sad day. Boz takes Nancy out for lunch during the conversation. Boz is working with one one of these feds who is just like a germaphobe pussy who just like wants to get out in the field real bad. But Boz is like constantly teaching him lessons on how to be a a cool guy and then be uh, an effective uh, law enforcement officer. Mm -hmm. And during this period where Boz and Nancy go out, the uh, uncool fed comes by, drops him a note and is like, yo, meet me in this parking lot at three. Boz takes off from the restaurant in the middle of lunch with Nancy and goes to meet this guy. And as he's leaving the restaurant, Ice is outside and just Boz just doesn't even notice him. He hops on his chopper. Ice, uh, as we find out, was following him. Ice tries to ice Bosworth. He fucking starts spraying at him from across the street after uh, Boz starts meeting with the uncool fed, starts his meeting. Basically, the Fed is saying, like, hey, we got to pull you out because uh, these guys killed two National Guardsmen. So uh, this is not it's not looking good. A really cool motorcycle slash car chase ensues uh, with Ice and Bosworth as they go through the streets of whatever fucking town they're in, starting by killing a cop who's chasing them both, which was super sick. They spray through the windshield. And I got to say, 
Love the the practical blood splatters. Oh, baby, yes. This movie is Squid Central. Squid Central, another thing to love about it. It's great. It, like the way that the glass shatters as well uh, on the uh, police car as the uh, the cop is getting fucking filled full of holes. Then the car just erupts. One of yeah, my favorite always. things from always. the 90s. It blows up. It just, it, it, if you look at a car too hard, it'll fucking blow yeah. up. That's well that yeah. That's what a car is for. Exactly. It's either you have to drive through a newsstand or it has to blow up. One of those two things. Yep. And the the chase ends with ice <laughs> just going head first into a car. And, yep. and of course the, the, the bike explodes. <laughs> the bike explodes. It was so cool. It was so cool. Uh you don't see a body go flying. Uh the camera just cuts the ice on the ground and Bosworth walks over to his body. And his dying words are, fuck you, cop. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking magic. The the Nazi gang, as it turns out, way into Viking uh, Norse mythology, at least to some extent, because they give this fucking guy ice a Viking funeral. They'd sit him on top of a bike and, like, have him in position to ride it. And they'd dump gasoline on him and light him on fucking fire, which is fucking sick. Yeah, pretty, pretty badass. Fucking cool. And then from there, we get to the the deal that gets botched um, because they changed locations very briefly. And then the feds were like, well, fuck, we just uh, we have no idea what's going on. And then they call the truck for whatever reason. And Nancy has had sneaking suspicions that Bosworth has been a cop the entire time, which is like fucking obvious i mean she's she receives a call earlier from chains's inside employee with whatever government and uh, arm that person works with who's runs a check on bosworth uh and it turns out huff and stone are cross-linked in some way and this is one of those things that they put in movies that doesn't actually make any sense you know as an audience member you just kind of roll with it because it's like fuck it whatever what, what else am i going to believe here I mean, like, I, I work in IT professionally, and anytime anybody says mainframe, I'm with 100% certainty. I know they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, we're good. We got into the mainframe. All right, describe it. Describe what a mainframe is. But it's, I assume this is, it's the same thing for, for whatever terminology they're throwing around with uh, cross linking IDs and shit. Uh, as soon as the truck turns off, they just call the truck. They like radio into the truck. They don't know if Bosworth is driving the truck. They don't know who else is in the truck. And uh, they effectively blow his cover with Nancy in the truck. But it doesn't matter, at least at that moment, because uh, she's, she's annoyed for like one second and then she's like, all right, fine, you're a cop. Yeah, she wants to get out. She wants out. Yeah, and in order to get out, you sometimes you just gotta play along. Mm-hmm. I forgot one of the most magical pieces of this during the deal for the truck. They have like a fake agent there or an agent in there wearing like a uh, like body pack full of squibs and shit. Uh, so Brian Bosworth can kill him in front of chains and look like a tough guy. And just like the practical effects on the things bursting off of the shirt and the squibs going off under the shirt, very beautiful. I can't I at some point after the deal goes down Boz um sees them loading up a helicopter uh at their little fortress and is told that Chains wants to meet him. This is the point where Bosworth's uh, cover is officially blown. Yeah, after all that hard work to establish it, which didn't even include like creating a cover story or anything, he would have been blown way earlier if Chains had just picked up the phone instead of Nancy. Uh but yeah, oh, what? Because 
the Bolivian guy who they uh, pretended to kill and put on a helicopter, he just showed it back up. Very smart idea, Who? because, of course, they kill him. They kill Nancy. But, of course, they don't kill the cop they have in front of them. Instead, they decide that they're going to use him as part of their D-Day, which is a spectacular uh, uh, terrorist attack, basically, on the state Supreme Court, uh, which is hearing the case to try to get the new death penalty for their brother. Uh, They're going to kill Whip. They're going to kill the state Supreme Court. They're going to kill everybody, and they're going to try to get away in a helicopter. Uh, And they're going to bring Boz with them, strap him with an explosive, drop him out of the helicopter, and make him a distraction, I guess, before they go in. Uh, and so the, the uh, bikers infiltrate the state Supreme Court. Uh, change goes, he cuts his hair, and he wears a, a priest's collar, which is enough to get him past the feds who had set up the entire sting. But both, <laughs> both the guys, the, the, uh, the Fred McMurray dude and the boss, he walks right by them, and they do not recognize him. And then he goes and sits down in the courthouse where a submachine gun has somehow been placed underneath the seat in front of him. Uh, meanwhile, Bosworth is in the helicopter. Of course, though, he is a He-Man. He is a, he is a berserker, and he just breaks the const- restraints they have on him uh, and then takes over the helicopter. Uh, but and this is the most amazing thing to me about the movie and the thing that makes it so unique. Boz does not stop anything from happening. Boz does not thwart any element of the plan. Everything they wanted to do, except, I guess, get away with it, happens. Uh, Chains pulls out his gun, shoots the entire uh, Mississippi Supreme Court, kills the district attorney. Uh, they have a big shootout with the National Guard. Uh, eventually, Boz like, jumps off the helicopter and he infiltrates and you know does he kills a few of the guys and but even like the hostages who get held end up all getting killed. Uh, and then he finally beats up uh, Chains and uh, doesn't kill him because he's better than that uh, and puts him into custody. And of course, though, then Chains grabs a cop's gun and Fred Murray, the nerd, a fed, blows him away. Yeah. And then Boz just walks away. And then it's like, what did you do here? Everyone is dead. <laughs> this is one of the most devastating acts of domestic terrorism in American history. This is like shit that happened in Colombia in the eighties. <laughs> but I, 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 and I never noticed because this is a movie I saw when I was a kid and really liked, and I watched it like maybe five years ago, but it, I never really put together today until today that this movie, which came out in 1991 uh, is really an eerie precursor to domestic terrorism uh, in America really ever, ever since that time. Cause you know, Within a few years, you have uh, uh, Oklahoma City and, and, and you know, uh, the, everything since then. Because if you look at the narrative here of how this happens, how this cop infiltrates this gang and then allows this thing to spiral to the point where the Supreme Court and the district attorney are massacred in the state capitol, it's all absurd. It's as absurd as an action movie of this type generally is. But then you look at what, like, the actual things that happen and you – really just have the U.S. government literally funding a terror attack against its, uh, 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 its own, against the state government. Like, you have every paranoid conspiracy about Oklahoma City or the, uh, the Boston Marathon bombing because they send this cop into the, the, the uh, biker gang. He arranges to have 
themselves this meth that came from the government, which then funds these guys to buy weapons from the government, which they then use to do a massive terrorist attack, which they do not stop. All that they do is ensure that the mastermind who has been taken into custody, instead of going to court and maybe having the actual details of this thing, you know, explained is shot in custody by an FBI agent. Yeah. So like we have the, the story as the movie tells it is this absurd action film yarn, but it feels like watching it to me that that is, this is like telling us that is what, we are told about how things like this happen. Just a bunch of fancy and coincidence and just bad luck. When in reality, you might very well just be seeing the machinations of the domestic gladio operations that are always churning in the background uh, uh, by America's uh, intelligence community. That's actually a really interesting take. I hadn't, I, that hadn't occurred to me while watching it. If you, when you look at it that way, it it makes the movie kind of like uh at least post hoc brilliant because it's just kind of like it's the government telling on itself right like we set this whole thing up whoopsies yeah. we, we have no control after all yeah oh boy oh no they got oh we were gonna arrest them with all that meth but then they just changed the, the location it's like fast and furious like oh somehow all these american uh, firearms got into mexico oops it's not like we have been directly choosing uh uh, uh, allies in the Mexican drug war and supplying them with weapons and intelligence. We just got, uh, we have one guy who just kind of got it out of hand and whoop, the guns are gone. Whoopsies. Whoops. They just shot the Mississippi state Supreme court. Oh no. And now, I mean, we got after the, uh, we got the American like domestic terrorism bills after Oklahoma city. What the hell kind of bills would have gone through Congress after this happened in real life? Imagine that. <laughs> they, I, that, I would love to see that. I would love to see the reality. In, no, I can't say that. I got to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> in a video game. In a, in a video game. I want to see what the results of something like this happen. I mean, it almost happened, right? Um, yeah. The governor of Michigan almost got fucking kidnapped. By a bunch of FBI informants. <laughs> Which one was Bosworth? <laughs> <laughs> that's fu- some fucking cop from a neighboring state who just got roped into this because he Komo- with, he's got a Komodo dragon uh, and he's he wears uh, a speedos and he's showing up at uh, at biker got bars going hey who wants to kidnap the governor anybody <laughs> and then and if if something like this happened in real life um, I, I I try not to use Twitter anymore but I could just imagine. That fucking Bart meme where it's just him wearing the FBI hat and the kids in the class saying, say the line. And it's like, he was on our radar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The movie ends with Brian Bosworth walking out of the state capitol as the credits play over him walking out. And (laughs) this is – I think that's one of my favorite things to do in a movie. Just like have the credits play as something else is happening. Not like – not like in the same way that the dumbass like Marvel movies and shit do it now where it's just like, oh, we're like, I don't know, doing the fucking Orange Justice dance or whatever. But just yeah. like something mundane happening. Movie closes. Magnificent. Beautiful. Uh, way better than I thought it was going to be, honestly. I would I, – I think I'm going to watch it again actually after, after – They really do. They, at one point, they, they launch a motorcycle into a helicopter. Oh, yeah. And it yeah. blows up. 
Yeah. That's cool. Very cool. And even that shot that precedes that where the the helicopter is flying super low on the street in front of the state capitol. Yeah. Uh, that was fucking cool, man. That's all real. They did that shit. Yeah. For I, a Brian Bosworth movie. They they can they can uh they got pr- Chris they got uh any of the Chris's that they have now. They got a movie <laughs> of that size and none of that is actually being practically shot anymore. But Bosworth they need to bring it back. They that. need to they need to bring back um practical effects i'm fucking it's it's my only real at this point it's my only thing i care about in terms of film i i've I've given up the ghost on everything else just give me some fucking practical effects you know even even um some of it in reacher was practical and that was really cool like some of the people getting shot was uh Mm -hmm. yeah the reacher was not bad i like that one yeah that i mean i've watched it Honestly, for me, I think that might be like the perfect TV show. I've watched it like four times. Front I mean, back. you got this giant guy just dishing out ass kickings. What's not to like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like fucking. Uh, what's that show? Um, the one with John Krasinski. Um, oh yeah, the the Tom Clancy, the the Jack Ryan show. Jack Ryan, just like fucking boring, like skinny it, fucking dork. <laughs> Yeah, he's supposed to be a math man. It's supposed to be all cool and shit. I watched the latest season and it's like, I don't know, man. He doesn't even do any cool shit. He's just, yeah. he's not like beating anybody's ass. He's not even doing like cool math, like cool movie math where he's just like. And the the problem that I have with the Jack Reacher show, I'm off on a tangent now. Fuck it. The stakes just keep getting higher and higher. He yeah, fucking yeah. saves the world in season three. Why? Who cares? Yeah. In in Jack Reacher, it only matters to that fucking small town. I mean, there right. are, there are wider implications, but beyond that small town, like nobody really gives a fuck. Yeah, you know. But yeah. why why does he got to save the world? Why human, can't he- human stakes are always going to be more relatable and more evocative for people? Yeah, and more tasty. You ever eat yeah. human before? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, we'll get into our final segment, no concessions, where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movie. And we're back. Uh, we are in our final segment, no concessions, where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite. Uh, let's say media. Fuck it, piece of media. Um, Matt, you have any picks? What What are you What are you dying on a hill for? The The oeuvre of Joe Dante, I guess. Just uh, Joe Dante's uh, output. I feel like he is uh, he is as good as a guy like Carpenter from the same era, working in a different uh, register and key, but uh, with a similar grasp. Uh, basic storytelling and, and visual filmmaking uh, and wit uh, and ingenuity. Uh, and yeah, like his, uh, the Burbs and Gremlins 2 is one of the best uh, one two punches of uh, any filmmaker. It made them like back to back in 1989 and 1990. But his other movies like Matinee, uh, Inner Space, just uh, a small soldiers even uh, at, towards the end, l- later end of his career, just great work. I'm looking at his filmography right now the howling is the one that ends in the woman turning into the werewolf in the news station right yes yeah that that movie was fucking that was that was pretty good that was pretty yeah. good and it ends with the fucking dudes in the bar say ah special effects that shit's fake <laughs> yeah <laughs> and when i saw that at the time i thought that was like that that piece of it was so um ahead of its time and so modern <laughs> because that's 
that's how I look at the internet now. I just anytime anybody shows me a fucking video, it's like, oh, the, or any even any story that comes off of Twitter, like fucking, yeah, not real. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on uh, this week's episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate having you. Uh, do you want to plug anything? The hell on earth. That's what I've been plugging. Uh, check it out. The Thirty Years War podcast I'm doing with my producer Chris Wade. It's available at the Chapo Patreon. Thank <laughs> you.